0: we're going to be addressing a similar question. Uh, I could have titled the sermon this really, Why Bad Things Happen to God's People. Why bad things happen to God's people. And as uh, Lindsay kind of introduced the morning and even Jason's prayer right there, I mean, this, uh, this passage and this story, if you will, is really perfect, I think, for where we are, <clears throat> not only in our little body here, at Christchurch Rollsville and maybe our town um, and our nation, but then just individually uh, where each one of of us are at in our own lives, I think this story is really perfect. So we're in Genesis 37, so go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 37. Um, We should probably uh, consider a few things um, as we get going this morning. First of all, Uh, where we are in the book of Genesis. Uh, We started Genesis a while ago, right, before 1 Corinthians, and we made it up through Genesis 36. So this morning we're starting in Genesis 37. Genesis 37 is actually the first chapter of really 13 chapters or 12 chapters that make up the Joseph story. It's actually known as a little book Uh, in scholarship. They call this the Joseph book or the Joseph novel. So this is really just part one of 13 uh, that give the end of um, this uh, book of Genesis. Now, it would also help to know that we are in what is called the patriarchal narratives. That's really just a fancy word, I suppose, for saying the stories about the fathers. That would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, again, we need to remember uh, the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Listen to Genesis 12. You might flip over there uh, because this, again, starts us on a path that uh, had a climax, so to speak, in Jesus Christ and literally is still going on today. All right, Genesis 12, very, very important passage. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, that that Those three verses are literally chock full of things that we could spend an entire sermon on. Uh, But just remember that those words right there connect very carefully back to the Noah story right before this. We actually talked about this, I think, in uh, the prayer last week, how there's words from these verses which connect right back to all the nations. I'm not going to be able to keep this jacket on. Uh, All the nations spreading out. Uh, into the known world. Thank you. So, and really from Noah, it just goes right back to Adam and Eve. So again, a very uh, a very important hinge verse from Adam, Eve, Noah, and then on from Abraham, and now we are in the story of Joseph. We are showing here how uh, the promise to Abraham continues on in the lives of his sons, and again, again, eventually, great, great, great grandson, Jesus Christ. So, in other words, God has an agenda. God has an agenda. Let me say that one more time. God has an agenda. You know, we might think about our own nation and There's upheaval, and sure, we're a great nation, and it's been 200, you know, years, and this is great. And, you know, in the scope of the last three or four millennia, you know, we are a blip on the screen. God has been working since the foundation of the world according to the agenda that he works out through the promise to Abraham. God has an agenda. And God, and this is is an important point here that we're going to see in the Joseph story, God is working behind the scenes, so to speak, to work out his agenda. Moses the prophets, the later writers of the Old Testament, the Psalmist all look to a point in time when God would send a future son of Abraham to come, die, awake from death, and reign forever, create for himself a people, a new people that would worship him literally forever. Crazy. forever. And he's doing this. And this is his agenda. This his his agenda. He's very committed to his agenda. People from every race, tribe, nation, and tongue, just like you and me, God is doing this thing right this second. Might not be doing it, you know, as much right here in our midst, but he is. He's, our, he's carrying this out at this very second. The Spirit of God is, I'm sure, being poured out on somebody. Making him or her a part of this new family that we are also a part of, and will worship God forever. Now, this might be called a spoiler alert, mm-hmm. right? We might, this might be kind of a spoiler alert. And I thought I was thinking about this, and uh, I thought, well, let me let me just see what spoiler alert. I was looking for some cool story or something to talk about a spoiler alert, but I couldn't think of any really. So I just Googled spoiler alert. I thought this would be. I thought this was kind of interesting. So here's what I, here were the, like the top five uh, um, references. Spoiler alert. So, spoiler alert, this is, a, uh, this is a video game. Spoiler alert is a video game that tests your platforming skills. I don't even know what platforming skills are. Uh, in reverse, right? In reverse. It's a comedy platformer that you play backwards. Now, again, I'm, I want to get across that we already know the end or at least the, the most central part to the end, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his own application of that by the Holy Spirit to our own selves, we already know the end. And in some ways, we have to kind of work backwards in our own lives, even. Spoiler alert. This is a definition of spoiler alert by the Webster Dictionary. A reviewer's warning that a plot spoiler is about to be revealed. Spoiler alert here this morning. Uh, what is this? August 19th, 2017. Spoiler alert. Uh, TV line. Those are but a few of the provocative questions that Matt uh, Mitovich and I tackle in this week's spoiler alert, a, jam- a jam-packed episode that also finds this da-da-da-da-da-da. So these two guys evidently reveal uh, things about favorite shows or something. They're getting ready to spoil the plot. Again, think about this in our own lives. We, we already know the end. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to work with knowing the end already in mind? Uh, spoiler alert, this is a different one, is a technology company that helps food businesses, farms, and nonprofits better manage unsold food inventory. I could have left that one out, but I thought the canons might appreciate that. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Android apps on Google Play. Spoiler alert is a backwards platformer about starting at the end of the game, undoing the entire adventure. Undoing the entire adventure. Think about the adventure of your life. Right? Some of you are young. 10 years old, 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, 17. Some of you are older. Right? 51, 52 Maybe. Starting at the end of the game, undoing the entire adventure. The first game, it says, that you will uncomplete. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So isn't it interesting, as we think now again about the Joseph story, that we know more than Joseph right now in this book. We know more than Joseph knows, because we already know the end. We know the end of the Joseph story, let alone the fact that we know how the old testament history ends and how the new testament history begins and then we know the history of the church and you know so on and so forth and we know Jesus Christ and lots of these things we know more than abraham we actually know more than moses knew when he wrote this book probably which is who's the author of this book, we know the Bible, we know the promises, we know the history, we know the story of Jesus, history of the resurrection, we know the history of the church, we know the history of Israel, and we've actually experienced, so most of us have testified, we've experienced the changing power of Jesus' spirit in us to awaken us to a new life. So here it is, here it is, here it is. What is stopping us from trusting God's promises to Abraham. Because Joseph, I mean, Joseph didn't know much. Joseph didn't know much. We're going to find that out and we're going to see how God is working in his life, All, even though we won't get to the end of the story today because it's 13 chapters later. What is stopping you from totally engaging with the God of the universe? What is stopping us from totally engaging in the God of the universe? Is it maybe a past hurt that we've experienced where we, we, we are not totally convinced that he's for us? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something else where we want something so bad we're afraid he won't let us have it. Maybe we're just bored with him. Maybe we don't really believe or we haven't really considered that he literally created everything and yet still initiated with each one of us. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a crazy thought. What is stopping you from totally engaging with the God of the universe? And then here's a, kind of a secondary question that's related. What is stopping you from getting involved in his agenda that he's committed to, whether you're committed to it or not? And that's the thing that I think we need to remember about our nation in these perilous times, that he's committed to his agenda. And as citizens, we need to act in a way that would attempt to align ourselves with his agenda in these overarching uh, things that are going on in our own society. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Why isn't he blessing us with lots of money, lots of friends, lots of talent, lots of people? Why aren't these things going on? He's committed to his agenda. The story of Joseph and Abraham in particular sheds light on God's commitment to his covenant with Abraham that we just read. All this really is just to set up these next 13 chapters. We might remember one more thing just by way of introduction, what one Old Testament scholar said, quote, a recurring theme can be traced throughout these narratives of Abraham and his sons, grandsons, uh, in Genesis, one that is first noted all the way back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He says, "...in nearly every episode which follows the promise that God made to Abraham of a numerous seed, blessing to all the families of the earth, or the gift of the land, is placed in jeopardy by the actions of the characters." Of that particular narrative. So, when we come to Genesis 37, this promise to Abraham, the author wants us to wrestle with how this promise is in jeopardy. And then again, as we see the end, to be so confident of his commitment to the promise. All right. So, one more question Why is Moses telling us this story in this way? This is another thing I want us to consider. Uh, that we were careful here. Why is Moses telling us this story about Abraham's grandson, Joseph, great-grandson, in this way? We should note that the reason is not only for historical sake, right? It is that, but it's not merely that. It's more than history. It is historical, but he's telling this For more than that. He's not just telling us that it happened, although he is telling us that, but it's more than that. And that, again, is what we need to unpack. So this narrative has an introduction, two acts, and a conclusion. The introduction is in verses one through four. This is where he develops his plot. And we'll read through this rather quickly. Let me just read through the first four verses. Now, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Uh, These are the records of the generation of jacob joseph 17 years of age was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth along with the sons of bilhah the sons of zilpah his father's wives and joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father in other words he tattled on them a very interesting phenomenon that we might be familiar with his parents. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him uh, a, a really on friendly terms, or he couldn't, they couldn't speak a word of peace about him. It's very interesting that it says Joseph was a shepherd, and he brought a Bad report. It's interesting here that the word shepherd is actually the same word in Hebrew, uh, bad. And so the, right away, the author's kind of sending a signal that there's something about this bad report with these shepherds that is going to cause trouble. This bad report that Joseph brought back about his brothers. There's something about Joseph being a shepherd and bringing a bad report like a bad omen in a story. It's if the author is trying again to highlight this, uh, and if we could, we should think of eerie music playing in the background as he heightens the plot here. It's going to end up in trouble. As a matter of fact, the portrayal here of Joseph is one who's a little bit clueless. He lacks a little tact in his uh, storytelling or his dreamtelling. So Joseph um, brings this bad report, and in verse 3, the author comes right out and tells us, point blank, he literally is speaking to the reader at this point, that Israel loved Joseph more than all his brothers because he was a son of his old age. And again, the clause here is one where the author is speaking to his readers and telling part of the story. We need to know that Israel was Joseph, Jacob that is, was playing favorites. Not only this, but he made this coat of many colors. He gets a special gift that his brothers didn't gift. I mean, what, what did Jacob think was going to happen? You know, what did he think was going to happen? Um, there was going to be trouble, and, and indeed, this coat of many colors uh, comes back to haunt Joseph later on and plays a, again, another sort of omen, if you will, about the negative repercussions of this. And then again, we see quite clearly in verse 4 the outcome of these things. Uh, His brothers saw this, and they hated Joseph. They hated him. Trouble is on the horizon. As a matter of fact, they were not able to speak a word of peace, verse 4 says. So he speaks, he uses words to give a bad word about them. They're not able to speak a peaceful word about him, and that again will come back uh, to haunt them. Now, if we, if we wanted to, we could, again, make a big deal about uh, some of these things that have happened even in these first verse, verses about the way we should act or maybe about the way we shouldn't act. But I don't really think that's the point of the author yet. He has another thing in mind. So let's keep going. Act 1, verses 5 through 11. So in verse 5, Joseph dreams a dream, the Bible says, and they hated him even more for it. So it's not just enough that he was special, the father loved him more, he gets these special gifts, this coat of many colors, it's probably a Tommy Hilfiger or, you know, something like this. He bought it for them, had it made, and they're jealous. No, now he comes and has these dreams, and they hated him for it. You know, jealousy is a dangerous thing, and neither Joseph, his brothers, nor his father seem to be aware that they are struggling with it. Um, So much uh, are they ignorant that he dreams another dream, and he tells them about the dream, and what a doozy it was. You know, he says to them in verse 6, this dream I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upwards, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And of course, Did this convince his brothers that okay, yeah, maybe we should really honor him and bow down to him, treat the younger brother here, right? Of you know, number number, way down the line, not even close to the oldest brother, who in that society would have been um, most prominent. Of course not. They hated him even more. It says, his brothers said to him, "Are you indeed to reign over us?" In verse eight, "Are you indeed to rule over us?" They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So the plot just continues to thicken here. Of course, Joseph's dreams did not stop there, but he had another dream in which the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down to him. And now his own father, who loved him the most, becomes incredulous and asks him, saying, you know, look, are we really going to bow down to you? His father rebukes him over it. His father rebukes him and says, okay, this is enough that you're sharing these things, um, and his brothers become jealous. All right, so now I think it's appropriate at this point to ask, you know, what about these dreams? Were these dreams true dreams? Were they revelatory in that, you know, God was really trying to reveal to Joseph, you know, what would happen here? Think about how Joseph uh, received these dreams. He evidently, uh, again, possibly with some naivety, thought, okay, these things are going to happen. Jacob, it says, pondered these things, even though he rebuked them. Were these dreams true? Did they, in fact, reveal the future? Because we know what's going to happen in the story right after this, right? Things are not going to go so well for Joseph. All right, so right now things are looking great. He's having these dreams, but pretty soon he's going to end up in the bottom of a pit, and we can ask the question, what is he, or we, thinking? So we know that indeed, Joseph's brothers and fathers will bow down to him, because again, we know 13 chapters later this is going to happen. And We also know from the end of this book that the point is not really that Joseph would bow down and be the ultimate ruler, but another son of Jacob, the great-great-great-great-great-grandson, you know, would eventually rule over all nations. And indeed, this book says he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. All right, so how will Joseph react when things don't go his way, when things get messy? And then the question for us, how do you react when things don't go your way or how you want them to go? Act 2, verses 12 through 35. So this act uh, actually has three scenes and then the conclusion. So scene 1, they head to the pasture. So the scene breaks from the dreams and the jealousy and the hatred for a minute here. The brothers head to the pasture. And then what is interesting is he sends Joseph, listen to this, he sends Joseph to see the peace. So the same same word that they could not speak a word of peace to him in verse 4 His father sends Joseph to see uh, about the peace of his brothers while they're out here in the midst of the pasture shepherding the sheep. And he wants, uh, Jacob wants Joseph to bring back a word of peace, right? But they could not speak a word of peace about him in verse 4. So it's very, very interesting here. The author continues to kind of create the plot. Before Joseph can find his brothers, he gets lost. He has to ask this man who comes from out of nowhere, we really don't know what is going on here, uh, for directions. Maybe this will keep Joseph out of trouble. Maybe he won't find his brothers. Maybe he can head back to his father without uh, any trouble. Maybe this will be the way that God keeps the family together from broiling over into a brouhaha. Well, unfortunately, not so. They actually see him coming. Right? He was heading this way, and he has to change course and go this way. Evidently, over the hill, he pops, and a couple miles you know, down the road, they see him coming and begin to conspire to kill him. And guess what it is that causes them to be so angry? They see him coming and conspire against this lord of dreams, this dream maker. They can't stand it that he had these dreams. We'll see what will become of his dreams. You know, let's kill him. Uh, on the one hand, it was his dreams that caused their murderous hate. 19 and 20, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. God might have given him these dreams, but no, no, no. We're gonna, we're gonna, we'll see what become his dreams, you know. He might think they're true, but no, we're going we're to stop this. Moreover, the coat of many co- colors also comes back into play here. In verse 23, it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his coat, the coat of many colors that he had worn. Well, that's scene one as we set out to where they conspire to kill him. And then in verse 21, Reuben, uh, who... I must say, comes across as a bit of a dummy in the story, uh, saves Joseph in these couple verses uh, in order to return him to to his father. So this is where they strip him of his tunic in verse 23 and then throw him in the pit without any water in it, thankfully, in verse 24. And this is where Reuben kind of leaves him. Now, we're going to find out later that Reuben kind of tries to come back and save him, but again, he's a bit clueless, doesn't even apparently know what the brother's had done in the meantime so again we find here that joseph is at now at the bottom of this pit what do you think is going on in joseph's mind he had this dream that his sons and indeed his mom and dad would bow down to him and now he finds himself in the bottom of the pit can't get out of it wild animals if it rains he's in big trouble Right? There was the danger of water, the text seems to point to. What was going on in his mind? Had God left him? Was he such an idiot to share these dreams with his brothers? He was an idiot to even believe the dreams. But hadn't it glorified God that he shared the dreams? Where was God in all this? Where was his dad? Was his, was his dad stupid enough to send him to these um, vile brothers? What about the truth of the dreams? It sure didn't appear that they would bow down to him. Joseph could not see how God's promise or the dreams would come true through him. The 11th of 12 sons. How could God's promise to Abraham come true at this point? And perhaps we're at a similar place. Perhaps maybe it's in our church. You know, we're a smaller body. You know, we are working, I know Jim and Jason are working very hard, we're praying, they're praying, you know, why haven't we seen more? What is God doing? Is he really saving people? All right, perhaps in our own lives, what, what is going on here? These bad things have happened to me. I broke my arm, I flunked out. My marriage is not going well. My children are not doing well. I'm not being very successful at work. Nobody's coming to Christ at work. Remember, God is committed to his agenda. God is committed to his agenda. Joseph was in the bottom of a pit. Scene three verses 25 and following. After they dropped Joseph into the pit, what did they do? Well, I think this is very funny. They sat down to eat. (laughs) All right, so they throw their brother in the pit, and then they go sit down to eat some bread on a rock. You know, you wonder, was Joseph yelling to them? I mean, how could they eat at this point? They sat down to eat, but it's at this point that the plot really begins to thicken and to develop. Because here it's where we see that a band of traders were going by. And guess where the band of traders were heading? Egypt. I heard somebody say it. Was that you, Simon? Nice. That is exactly right. They were heading to Egypt. Now, do you remember what God had told Abraham decades earlier? Do you remember this? Genesis 15, 13. Flip over to there just in case I've lost you. This will wake you back up. Genesis 15, 13. 15, 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram at that point, know for certain that your offspring, that is your children and grandchildren and your whole clan, will be sojourners, strangers, travelers, wanderers in a land that is not theirs, and will be slaves there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So again, God in his own providence knowing that Abraham's descendants needed to get to Egypt. Now, we could ask the question here, why did they need to get to Egypt? Well, that's God's plan. I mean, in some ways, we, we, we shouldn't even be asking those questions. We, we don't know. But because we know the rest of the story, we can see a little bit of it. Guess what was going to happen in Egypt? God was going to rescue his people with outstretched arm and mighty hand, and do such miracles that for the rest of history, three millennia later, two millennia later, three millennia later actually, we are still talking about it. Moreover, all of the prophets and the rest of the writers of the Old Testament actually use this image of God saving Israel out of Exodus as a new exodus where God would save this new family out of the slavery of their sin. And it becomes an analogy for how God would save this new people. Literally, an exodus, a salvation, a great salvation. He actually told Pharaoh that in you, all the nations would know of my power. Part of what he was doing in getting his people down to Egypt, and we see it come to play through the evil portrayed through these characters. God knew his purpose between Israel and Egypt. God knew his providential plan to bring about the exodus. Exodus. Well, it's right after this in the story that another brother suddenly steps in, another son of Jacob, who we really haven't heard from at this point in the story. It was Judah. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Well, I find this very interesting that, no, instead of leaving him in the pit, let's sell him as a slave, right? As if this was much better. Judah, the son of Jacob, who literally would be the son of promise, appears to either be greedy, wanting money, or feeling guilty, neither of which are, you know, great motives, to not kill his or their younger brother. He appears to do it out of greed. Let's get some money. And I want us to see how God accomplishes his purpose here, how God accomplishes his agenda. God is literally accomplishing his agenda to get Joseph and the whole family of Abraham, or Jacob at this point, down to Egypt through hate, envy, greed, shame, and even slavery. This is how God's accompli- accomplishing his purpose here in this story. Judah intervenes in verses 26 and 27, convinces the brothers not to kill their own flesh uh, and blood, but to merely sell him to these tr- uh, traders again, heading down to Egypt. And sure enough, After what appears to be a pretty cheap sale, Joseph winds up in Egypt in verse 28, a country that just a few chapters later, Joseph himself ends up saving uh, through management of uh, food, really saving the entire region. Again, crazy story, God is committed to his agenda. Now, back to the story very quickly as we wind this up. Reuben returns and finds Joseph not in the pit, and he tears his clothes. In just a few verses, Jacob is going to tear his clothes because he says a wild animal has torn Joseph. Right. So everybody's now doing some tearing because of the evil that is going on. Jacob tears his clothes when he will sadly think that a wild animal has ripped Joseph apart. Meanwhile, Reuben freaks out, and the text is very descriptive. It doesn't really come across in the English here. He can't get his words out. He's literally, uh, 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 when he can't find Joseph in the pit in verses 29 and 30. He literally is so flabbergasted and probably scared, and again, perhaps guilty, he can't even get his words out. So the tunic in verses 31 and following that has caused so much trouble uh, is now used to tell the story of Joseph's demise. They dip it in the blood of a goat and send the coat of many colors back to Jacob back to Jacob to see if he will recognize it. He of course does recognize it. tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth sackcloth, and becomes inconsolable. Inconsolable. Again, what was Jacob thinking at this point? How How was he thinking? He literally says, I will go down to Sheol where my son is. I will go down to Sheol lamenting my son. Had he given up on the promises that God had literally told him? He had had God give those same promises that God had given to Abraham to him. Would God be faithful to his promise? Would one of these other evil sons who were committing murder and selling you know, human slavery, human trafficking? Would God indeed accomplish his purpose through one of these sons? Well, the conclusion then winds up is that Joseph indeed is in Egypt. This is what the author gives us at the very end. Joseph, again, this is a statement that is made to the reader. Uh, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, literally Pharaoh's Officer. So again, the plot thickens as Joseph winds up in the very house of Pharaoh. Again, a spoiler alert. Do you remember in the prophecies, the poems about this future son of Judah and Jacob and Abraham? A son will come out of Egypt. Listen to the prophecy about the Messiah in Numbers 24-7 talking about this king who would come, this star from Jacob, this one who holds the scepter. I think we've talked about it before here in church. His seed, his offspring will be in many waters. His king will be higher than Agag. His kingdom will be exalted. God will bring him out of Egypt. Again, the Israelites were needing to get down to Egypt for God to accomplish accomplish his purposes. They will bow down to him. Or we could listen to a later prophet, Hosea 11, 1, who says this of a son of David who was yet to come in Hosea's time. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Indeed, Matthew quotes this and says, yes, this is Jesus, the Messiah. Imagine all that comes out of their hatred. Their petty little hatred over the coat of many colors. Imagine all the glory that comes out of their hatred and their jealousy. Again, where are you at in your trust of God's commitment to his own agenda? Be careful not to let your agenda. Don't fool yourself in thinking your agenda is God's agenda. That's where I struggle sometimes. No, God is committed to his own agenda, and he invites us to participate in that. Listen to the conclusion of the story in Genesis 50, 20. This is what Joseph says to his brothers at the end. He says, as for you all, brothers who sold me, who hated me, who were envious, as for you all, you meant badness, the same word here. You meant evil against me it's the same word where he brought an evil report about them you met evil against me but god meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today well again what has happened in our lives or your life to doubt the promises of god God is still committed to his promise to Abraham to bring about men and women from every tribe, every nation, every trunk, to be worshipers of him because he is the ultimate good and the ultimate power and the one who can save. We will bow down to a son if we haven't already.